Welcome back to Touch by Prayer. We're going to try this again because if at first you don't succeed, what do you do? You try, try again. So thank you guys for the prayers. Thank you so much for the intercession because tonight's going to be an awesome show. And as if you heard the first broadcast, <laughs> this is part two, um, I have the very awesome Julie Lavender on. She is amazing. I, I found her on Periscope after somebody tweeted her out. And I said, what is this? No fear? Oh, heck yeah. Let me go check this out. Well, I found out that the Julie not only talks about how she has a fear-free living attitude, which is amazing, but she's also written books, children's books. Yeah. But then she also sings and she's incredible. And I'm so excited to have her on. But before we do that, I just wanted to share some of her music because I always think that sharing is caring. So let's just listen to a little bit. This is from her CD, A Good Woman. And it's so beautiful. This is called Song for a Sower. So it is just one of... I just love this song. I can actually, I think I could actually live in it for a while. That's just one of the things I could possibly do. She has such a beautiful, beautiful voice. Okay, guys, share the broadcast. Sharing is caring. I know we've lost a bunch of people, but we're going to, we're going to get them back. It's all good. It is all good. Okay. So this is her, some of her CDs. This is called Interior Design. And then we also have this, Never Felt the Sun. I love that. I think that's so pretty. So prophetic and so poetic. So share, share, share. Share this broadcast. She has such a beautiful way of expression. She also is an artist. My goodness gracious, there's so much. There is just so much. So these are some of her CDs. How beautiful that is. So without further ado, I'm going to bring on Miss Julie. Lavender. Julie, welcome to Touch by Prayer. Thank you so much for coming on. We made it. We did. And we have sound and we have we have people. <laughs> people. And we're gonna have so much fun. So I'm so excited. I would really like to thank you so much for coming on. It is it is such a joy and such an honor to have you on and to share not only your wisdom, but your incredible talent. My goodness, you are like uber, uber talented. That's what I like to say. <laughs> well, thank you. You know, but um, the reality is the the genius that most people have, they will, they'll be the last to find out about because of fear. Mm. So, you know, it's easy to sort of just assign to special people, special things, you know, and say, well, they got the, you know, the gene for this or did the thing for that. But what's most interesting to me is how we transcend all those limitations when we deal with fear. Absolutely. And then and it's just astonishing what's possible for any one of us in the, in, in the lane we were created for, you know, that makes us super creative and relevant and, you know, in different ways, but yeah. 
So absolutely. Okay. So one of the one of the things that that you do sometimes is during your um your different broadcasts, which people can find you on YouTube, they can find you on Periscope, they can, and you also have joined the clout. You have a little bit of clout, which is Cloud Hub. So you have a channel there, just like um, I have a channel. So if you'd like to follow Julie Meyer, uh, Julie Meyer, sorry, Julie Lavender, sorry, um, you want to go ahead and you want to subscribe to Julie's uh, channel, which on Cloud Hub is what? 129. 129. So if you actually subscribe to her um, Cloud Hub channel, you'll actually know whenever she goes live. So which is always a fun thing. So you never, ever miss any of her, her lives. And she does prayer because you are a prayer warrior. You are an incredible prayer warrior. And uh, some of the things that you, especially in the midst of the the, the uh, ongoing fear, I'm being very careful with my words. Um, yeah, I'm so right. tired of all right. of <laughs> of it. I know, I might start praying in tongues, just <laughs> Okay, so one of the things that um, that you really have been is you have been that voice that that constantly is called out and has said fear not fear not fear not don't worry about this fear not and that is one of the most beautiful things um i really believe about what you do because it's that constant reassurance that that god is with us and and god ha is for us and that he is going to do what we can't even believe that he's going to do so let's just talk about your journey because how how did you kind of start to live this um, fear-free way of life? Well, I think the one the one word that described and defined me from very early on was fear. I think that it was the it was the most deeply embedded. I mean, I think there were more deep things. I think there was a there were things planted in me to believe for the impossible, but on a day to day. Uh, experience from very early on i would say that the word fear if there was a word that written that calculated how i how i functioned and saw myself it was the word fear but it's interesting because by personality i like to do new things i like challenges and i had enough love and security in my home to to teach me how to risk into faith but it was a very painful journey because I was so afraid of so many things from so early on. And um, I don't think people would, they would tell, they tell me, you know, I never knew. You just seemed like you made it all look so easy. And that's the irony uh, for many people is that you can look very competent. You can have a, an outgoing personality. You can even have sort of a lot of stage presence and you can still be incredibly um, tormented and limited by fear. And people have a way of learning to function out of what I call core competencies, the things that, that, you, that are your strengths and you, can, you, you get a lot of reward for that. And so very often you can, you can uh, surf on that for a long time when you know there's a whole other side of your life that you're not dealing with because that's what really scares you. But everyone else will affirm you for being the greatest, you know, accountant or, you know, organizer or whatever. But it for me, ever since I was really little, I saw myself playing for thousands of people and I'd sit down on the piano at five, six, seven years old and writing music and singing. And uh, I could sing off the top of the keyboard. I had a huge range and I would just sit and I would play. And 
and write well beyond the capacity of, of uh, what I knew and understand about music. And um, that's one thing I always knew. I always knew that of all the things I wasn't afraid of, it was just knowing that, knowing that I knew how to write music that was from another dimension. But when it came to playing it for people, I very early on developed a very, very, very bad case of stage fright and had some experiences where I got up to do recitals and they didn't really know how to prepare kids to understand music and memory. And, and I, I was absolutely humiliated in front of audiences a few times. And it just took a few times for that to change my brain, to change my wiring and to create a whole internal life of absolute terror when I would play and sing for people. And that was my dream to do it. And yet it, it got to the point where when we first moved here to New England, even though I had a degree in classical guitar performance and I had released music and albums and I had done some things that people might think, wow, she makes that look so easy. By the time we got here and I had my three kids and we moved to New England, I couldn't play for one other person in a room. Uh, I was absolutely paralyzed and terrorized. And um, I was sitting right over there on that couch one day and the Lord said to me, Julie, it's your time. And I knew what he meant. That it was time to deal with the fear. And a cold chill went through my whole body uh, as if I was on a stage, as if I were on a stage. And all the fear, fight or flight went through me. And I had been saying, you know, I was functioning in my core competency of being a mom and, you know, homeschooling and you know, I'm all great at ministry and all that stuff. I'm a pastor's daughter and I know how to do that whole church thing. And, you know, um, and uh, I could have done, I could have gone forever living off of those things and completely a double life because inside I was absolutely terrified to do the one thing that God put in me from very early on. And which tells you, tell, told me and taught me that fear is personal and it's aimed at your destiny. So I sat right there. The Lord said to me, Julie, it's your time. And I had this terror go through my body. And all I could say was, well, Lord, you take, you know, I've learned all these other things about you through the, the, the process of dealing with a lot of emotional uh, upheaval and brokenness. I just said, well, I'll, I'll follow you one step at a time through every door you open for me, but don't leave me. Just mm. I, don't leave me alone. And I just said, I'll do, I, I'll do a one step at a time with you. And by this time I had learned through a lot of other, fear had two sides in my life, fear of intimacy and, and, and then the music. So one was dealing, was affecting all my relationships, my walk with God, my marriage, my relationship to myself and just general wholeness. And, and then one was the, music and they were like mirror images of the same thing. And, uh, and so that's when it started. And that was, gosh, how many years ago? 14 years ago, something like that. Wow. So, you know, you think about it, uh, it was late in life to start doing what I wanted to do. Hmm. Well, I think sometimes that is the way though, that, that we get pulled from our place of comfort that and god is like okay it's time for you to start doing what you've been called to do because it's in that that um 
that place of preparation. I call it the place of preparation, even if you're not walking in the stuff that you're supposed to do, but there still is a preparation in some of the things that you're doing that are going mm -hmm. to be applied at a later time that you don't even think could possibly fit. Because you could possibly say, well, you know, if I if I join a club and or if I'm I'm you know, helping with uh, fundraising, or if I'm a part of the, you know, home and school or Girl Scouts or whatever, the the things that we do as moms, you know, could this actually be used by God at a later point in our life? And I really believe that sometimes there are things inside of us that God like has dropped seeds in and they're preparation mm -hmm. seeds and they're, they're getting mm -hmm. us ready for the, for the bigger thing. And I, mm -hmm. I truly believe like you said, you know, you felt that calling at a very, very young age. And I think mm -hmm. people who are pulled into those places get that that calling at a young age mm -hmm. when they'll accept it, <laughs> when they think that they can do it and they're excited about it. And they're like, yeah, I'm going to, mm -hmm. you know, I'm going to be an actress or I'm going to be a singer. Or I'm going to be a Broadway star. or I'm going to be the president or whatever that may be. They get those little seeds, but then the world comes around and starts to beat up and tries to take those seeds or tries to squash those seeds or worse puts in weeds, which helps to choke out those seeds. And so we don't believe that we can do the the things that God has called us to do. And that's, I believe, where some of that that fear and that trepidation comes in because we can mm -hmm. hear those those distant sounds of people who said, oh, do you know how many people try to do that? Or how many people try to, to do those things and they don't make it? How many times did you hear those stories, especially knowing that, you know, your whole family are, they're all singers and musicians and, and everything, you know, you know the odds, but you also know God. And so you, your kids are being told constantly, I'm sure, that that they have a purpose and a calling and that God is going to help them so where they are, where they may feel that they can't, God's going to help them to to fulfill. Well, I watched my mom die with the song still inside her. Aww. She was an opera singer, and she had one of the absolute most uh, gorgeous coloratura soprano voices you've mm -hmm. ever heard. And she mm -hmm. was the first lady of Christian music. And after World War II, she and my father traveled all through the war-torn countries, and he preached, and she sang. And they had a classical pianist and a violinist. She was the original Christian music industry, and I they traveled that. and sang and um, and and sang in these countries. And my dad was an evangelist, and he preached the gospel. And then she came home, and and uh, he took a pastorate in Chicago. And she, in some ways, never forgave him Aww. because she never wanted to be a minister's wife. Uh huh. And. Um, she had a deep shame internal struggle from her childhood. And then what happened was the identity of being a pastor's wife and all that stuff began to squash her voice. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of reasons, though my mother, my mother could have made it. She was top notch, but I watched her implode mm -hmm. and I watched her that same exact energy that it takes to be that kind of a singer and that kind of person. Uh, she died of a really, really rare form of leukemia. And I literally believe that the creative energy that she could not get out and express ate her up. Aww. And I watched that happen over a long period of time. 
And I promised myself when my kids were young that they would not have a mother who would, who would die with the song still in her. Mm. And so one time my son said to me, what's with the dream bank thing? Why do you always have to do your music? And why do you have to do this? And why do you have to do that? And, you know, because it became our, our whole house turned into a jazz club. And as a homeschooling mother, we had, and family, we had jazz events and we had the best jazz musicians from all over the East coast performing in the barn. And I would always open for them as part of my healing process. And, and my kids would stay up late and listen to jazz music. And we'd have all the neighbors over hanging from the, you know, beams and the kids. And, <laughs> and so Dream Farm, what we named, I named this place and Dream Farm Cafe, which were the events and Dream Farm Radio, which is my nationally syndicated radio show on PB, uh, you know, P PBS, you know, station, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. station yeah. you know, I've got, at one point it was on over 40 stations. I don't know where mm -hmm. we are now. That all grew out of this determination to get free. And my son was, Mom, why do you have to, you know, it's all about you and your music and your dreamy, 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 this and that and the other. And I just looked at him and I said, well, son, I just promised that you'd never have to sit and, and have a mother who died with, the, with so much regret in her heart. You were going to, whatever I was going to give you was going to be seeing somebody get free and seeing somebody show up and give the best they could to the world. I wasn't going to let you watch me die from mm. the inside out. And he went, he said, oh, <laughs> and now he's got an album release going on tonight. Which is so exciting. But okay. So let's, let me just kind of sit on that, that you weren't going to let, you weren't going to die with a song in her heart. And I love, I think that's such a, a beautiful, um, uh, such a beautiful way of putting that sometimes the dreams inside of us, that they die inside of us. And it, and so I believe that one of your missions is to help people to see their dreams come to fruition, mm -hmm. that you, you're able to kind of go in and roto-rooter some of the stuff that has been stopping and blocking and to help to pull out that, that person who has been hidden and, and got trapped by sometimes, sometimes it's our own fear, but sometimes it's also the, the fear that's come against us from, from outside sources that have said, you can't, you can't, you can't. If enough people start to say that as we start to believe that lie, we'll, we'll start to walk in it. So I love that that you you have a mission to not only set people free from fear, but set people's their their destinies free, their dreams free. Well, one of the things that was really key for me when I uh, determined I had to get free, and I began to make people sit and listen to me play and stuff, was I decided I had to research what was going on with what they call performance anxiety now. But it was, and now we have a whole category of things called social anxieties. This is this is interesting, and they all have their they're all like diseases. There's a whole new category of disease. And what people would call social anxiety, maybe you don't relate to this idea of stage fright, but it's mm -hmm. very similar to people being terrified to go into a group, right? Yeah. Terrified to speak out loud. I mean, I have people who, who don't, who are terrified to make small stop, talk, uh, talk with a stranger, right? These, all these social anxieties, they all have something to do with performance, being seen and known as you really are, where you really are. Like I would have liked to have come out when I was first 
starting to play for people again and just have everybody tell me that my skill level was just, you know, Carnegie level and that, you know, but I had to come out and be here to be for, to just be where I was to be, to show up. You have to be able to be seen and known where you are because there's no way to get to here if you don't show up, you know, where we're at. And this is really key with social anxieties for people to be seen and known. And so I had, I determined one of the things that I did was I began to, I got every book I could get on stage fright and on, on performance anxiety. And I began to learn what's happening in the body and why it's happening. Because see, here's one of the key reasons why I think many Christian discussions about fear only go so far with people. You, you, you experience fear, which is a physical change in your body that's connected to the wiring in your brain and your beliefs and your habits. And it's so completely and utterly uh, experienced by your whole being that then someone comes along and they just throw a Bible verse at you. When you say, I'm scared, pray for me. They'll pray, they'll do, they'll do two things. I'll throw a Bible verse, you know, fear not for the Lord is with you, blah, blah, blah. Doesn't that fix you? Did that fix you? Were you fixed by that? Just, just suck it up. You shouldn't be afraid. This is what God says. And then they will pray, God, make this person better. God, take this person's fear away. Or God, take my fear away. And I need to tell you, those two approaches do not work. Because just to throw a Bible verse at someone, it's comforting. It's truth. But to throw a Bible per verse at someone and tell them not to experience what they're experiencing and expect that to solve the problem, even if you step out in faith, is, is not helpful in many ways. And the second thing is to pray that God does the job he expected you to do isn't going to work. And most people pray, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, just make me feel better. I just want to feel better. And that is not how you deal with fear. Fear cannot be dealt with in the realm. I mean, does God comfort us? Yes. Have there been moments you just cry out to God, Lord, I'm, I'm so, and he comes with his presence, right? And we get that blanket and we get that. But you'll still wake up the next day with all the wiring, all the beliefs, all the habits, all the avoidance, all the patterns that you and I are responsible to change based on the truth. And this is, so to me, when it comes to teaching on fear, there's a huge disconnect between the, here's what the Bible says, just believe this and you should be fine, and what people really experience on a day-to-day -day basis that is, shuts them down. And when fear happens to you, when you experience it, you feel so utterly powerless. And then when you pray, oh God, oh God, oh God, just make me feel better or just help someone feel better. And, and you don't get a long-term change in your ability to be deeply secure, deeply secure, where you wake up day in and day out, just really settled that you're safe and settled that you're enough and settled. And those, of course, are God propositions. I love right. that. They don't, you know, but that has to be settled in you. And of course, that is, a, this is where the Bible talks about the renewing of the mind. And there's a lot to the mind. 
So I like to really pick apart how do we live fear-free? How do we deal with fear? How does it work in the brain? How does it work in the endocrine system? How does it do this? And how, how do we get a hold of that and change all and participate with God and own the real estate and deal with it and change and really change by, of course, it's his grace and of course, it's his truth. But do you get what I'm saying? We have no, very yeah. passive, we have very passive ideas about peace and fear. Oh, God, just give me peace. Oh, God, right. just take away my fear. Peace and fear do not get dealt with that way. Mm -mm. I 100% I agree, especially with fear. Like, it, you know, one of the things that I truly believe is that we can't have anything in common with that fear. That means, like, no fear lives here. So, therefore, you can't come in because there's nothing. There's if nothing to identify with. There's no yeah. place for it to land. Yep. But you don't get rid of your landing strips overnight. No, it's a it's a progress. It's a work in progress. And I mean, you could do it a lot faster. I mean, I really mm -hmm. believe the number of years I spent learning to be afraid. I don't think you need to spend that same number of years learning not yeah. to be afraid. This is the power of the gospel. Right. But it, it involves when you just say, I, I don't care what it costs. This is I've said this a couple times in my life. I don't care what it costs me. I don't care where I have to go. I don't care what I have to confront. I will be free. I determine yes. that I am not going to live the rest of my life like this. Well, it's a and choice. that's a prayer that'll start getting answered because then God begins to give you those things that you have that, that you have to invest in. Right. And it's always about, you know, Joyce Meyer calls it stinking thinking. Mm -hmm. You know, she says that we, we sometimes have to shift the way <clears throat> that we that we think about ourselves right. and we think about situations. But mm -hmm. how do we do that? How do we come out of agreement? And sometimes it's actually going back to that place where that bad thought kind of came in and, and come into that place where you you deal with it. You mm -hmm. sometimes have to repent for agreeing with it. And, and sometimes you just have to be healed from it. Sometimes you, mm -hmm. we have to mm -hmm. have that, that grace where Jesus just comes in and he takes away that emotion because it's one of the things that God really talked to me about. And that's emotion because mm -hmm. emotion will drive a person sometimes if they, mm -hmm. if they let it. Not saying that emotions are bad. Emotions aren't bad. God mm -hmm. has emotions. Jesus had emotions. So, so emotions aren't bad, but it's when our emotions overrun our train of thought where our emotions get the better of us or our emotions start mm -hmm. to actually drive the train. We, we have to always be the conductor, not the emotions. So we have and, to and stand. The process of memory healing is God, not just the passivity of God make me feel better. Right. Like overall, I just don't want to deal with fear anymore. It's what specific... Um, happenings, traumas, events gave you the beliefs that drive your thinking and your neural patterns. And God wants to go in and, and deal with the beliefs in, in very specific memories and choices and agreements and heal those. And you get a few of those key ones dealt with. It will unhook your wiring. And then it's amazing how over time there is there is a generalized change to the anxiousness, mm. you know. Mm -hmm. But we just want the anxiousness to go 
way. We just want the big, you know, the floaty fear. Right. But God will, will take it down to the root. Mm -hmm. You know, where, where you, what are we really dealing with here? What are you really believing? What's really going? Where'd you learn that? Where did mm. you get that? That, and that's a really good point. And it, it's, it's really interesting because sometimes that actually even happened in utero and people sometimes are really mm -hmm. surprised. But if, 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 and because somebody, I, I once ministered to somebody who was suicidal. They just were so suicidal. And the Lord, I mean, it wasn't me, but the Lord brought it to my attention that his mother tried to abort him. And so he always felt that he was never supposed to be born. So mm -hmm. there was always this fear that he wasn't supposed to be here. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's it. And then that gets wired and it a life of its own. And we assign meaning to everything around us and all of our experiences based on those set of glasses. It's really fascinating. It's really oh. fascinating. Well, um, and I, I, I think because both you and I have used Dave, uh, Dave Hayes or, or Praying Medic, as most of you guys know, has a book uh, um, and it's uh, Three Simple Steps to Inner Healing. Is that right? Three Easy three Steps, to, easy emotional steps healing. to Emotional Healing. Sorry. Um, but what's so great about that book is it always works. It just always seems to work. So I know as, I've done a lot more complicated, way more complicated. And I'm not saying there aren't conversations in ministry where the Holy Spirit might linger here, there, or open up things. But it's really a he, him and Curry Blake. Simple, yes, simple, yes. simple, simple, simple. You know, a kid could do it. Yes. And if you think about it, that's really the kind of ministry tools we need because I don't know that the model that we have certain PhD people that deal with the you know, the, mm -hmm. the head cases, we all send them there. And then certain PhD demon caster routers get that and certain PhD, you know what I mean? Right. I kind of feel like, like we should all have some basic tools that work really good. Absolutely. Everywhere we go. Well, you know, if we look at the way that Jesus modeled it, he didn't put people through Sozo. Not, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with Sozo. Yeah. He's, but I'm just saying, you know, Jesus wasn't like, okay, this is going to be a process. And no, right. it was like done. And, yeah. and so that's what I believe that we should be walking in. That, right. That's my oh, yeah. personal belief. I believe that's that it not should be an anointing. done. It's no. available now. Absolutely. We, because we haven't experienced it, we call it the anointing. Right. Well, somebody's got the real demon anointing or the real John G. Lake anointing or the this anointing. Yeah. And so we keep waiting until we get the anointing. Yeah. And it's all in the Holy Spirit. It's Absolutely. all, you know, and uh, this idea of waiting for another move or another whatever. Um, we've got more authority than we could possibly even think about using right now. Absolutely. And OK, so we're, we're living in a time right now where fear has has an mm -hmm. ego. I mean, like it is so huge. Like I could just mm -hmm. see like that, that the head of fear is like, I am invincible kind of thing. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what this fear mongering that's going on. Mm -hmm. And there are so many people who are trapped in this state of fear mm -hmm. because I believe it's that fear because Jesus always is saying, fear not, fear not, fear not. I mean, throughout mm -hmm. the Bible, fear not, fear not, fear not. I do not give you a spirit of fear. So fear is never from, there's only one fear that comes from God, from God and that is the fear of the Lord. But in this, this 
place that we're in as a society, as a nation, and even as the world, there are, are people such as yourself who are rising above the fear and the noise and saying, hey, don't worry about it. Stop it. <laughs> you know, you don't have to be afraid. If, you know, so that's, that's the thing. The thing of it is, is that right now what we're seeing is because of the authority the mainstream media has carried since the 1950s and the passivity and the authority that media, entertainment, stars, um, uh, metocrats, WHO, CDC, this and that. We gave away authority generations ago to a group of experts who are supposed to know better than we know. And when your experts have been infiltrated with a, an agenda, it's really, a, it's really bad news. And our experts were infiltrated with an agenda because the WHO is pretty much controlled by China who gave us this wonderful virus just at a time they were losing control of all their trade policies. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, you can yeah. go down this rabbit trail well, we can, of we can. Dr. Fauci. Yeah. Dr. Fauci is, I know somebody who worked with him. Okay. In the, in, in the 1990s on an AIDS foundation and his, his words were that man is evil. Wow. Evil. Mm. And there's a lot. And you watch, my husband has had, had, uh, had issues with China. My husband has had issues with major drug companies and the FDA. These people make a lot of money. Mm -hmm. They play hardball. They want control. Whether you're in the Medicrat world um, or you're in government, you're in media, people like control and they like power. And uh, they don't like people they can't control, mm. like our president. Mm -hmm. And so when, when authority has, is corrupted and you have given authority to different people to, um, to give you your sense of well-being, and that's corrupted, it is very, very dangerous. And um, this is what has happened. And fear always acts like an authority figure. Fear will always come with this sense of authority. I'm the one who's going to let you know when you're safe. I'll tell you when you're okay. I'll let you know. I've got my finger on you. It, and, and so the problem is now people have, uh, because how could all these people be lying to us? How could they? And the, the media is controlled by the same six corporations. Yeah. This is a much bigger story. Yeah. And unless you have had the ability and the resilience to stand apart, that has to be developed. We learned this, and this is important because people have to learn this skill. You see what I teach because I learned this. Fear-free living is a life skill. It's not just some people feel better than others. You have to learn the life skill of dealing with fear. You have to learn the life skill of learning to be safe. You have to learn the life skill of security. You have to learn. We have to learn it. That's taught. It's not just some people are happy and some people are confident and some people aren't. And so um, 
when I looked up, and this is this is a little microcosm of what we're dealing with. I looked around and noticed the kids who were healthy and happy, and they weren't in school. Mm-hmm. They yeah. were homeschooled, and mm-hmm. I wanted nothing to do with homeschooling. Was I couldn't relate to homeschooling jean dress wearing mothers. I didn't want to do it. I wanted to be the cool mom and play jazz. And um, my my kid kind of forced me into it because he was so unhappy. Mm-hmm. And I read Homeschooling's uh, Idiot's Guide to Homeschooling. Mm-hmm. And I went, oh my gosh, started to get a vision. And then I and I started to question the establishment. What do we learn in a system like school? I'm a, this is just one. I mean, we're going to bring it up to the where we are now culturally. In a system, you learn trust the experts. Yeah, you're not qualified to teach your kid. You don't have a science lab. You don't have all these things. And, and you, you guys would just argue anyway because your kid doesn't trust you and your kid doesn't respect you. That's a loss of authority. And when you, and we've been in systems for generations that have t- taken away our authority. The school system is one of them. And now we have kids being daily brainwashed by, with, by communism and socialism and parents wake up and go, oh my God, what happened to my kid? Mm-hmm. Well, when I got the memo and saw what was happening, I began to take back the authority. And it's scary and it was confusing and it changed my life. But I took it back and I started questioning who the experts were at the building down the street and why, where did they get off me giving them all that authority with my kids? And that opened my eyes and all of a sudden I could see everything differently. And I saw how, what I was willing to accept. Well, I got, I had a horrible, you know, this is the, this is the thinking, Lisa. We go, well, I got through high school. Yes, my heart was broken. Prom was terrible. I, I practically got raped. I, I, I was drunk. I was this. I, mm-hmm. I lost my virginity, but that's high school. Right. I turned out okay. Right. That's just how it is. Ugh. And we send our kids off to the grown up factory on the corner and go, well, you know, that's just school. That bully thing and that whatever thing, that, you know, that's just the way it, it's not. It's not. It's an authoritative institution that is disempowering parents. Come on. And when you start being the outsider and you start getting comfortable, being, the other way our family did it was we started celebrating Sabbath and the Jewish festivals. We stopped Christmas. We stopped Halloween. We stopped Easter. We stopped Valentine's Day because I wanted to do the festivals. And I thought, what if I did our whole lives around the festivals instead of these other things that always drive me crazy? Mm-hmm. And it taught us for bad or good or worse. And you can, you know, it was an up and a down and not everything was perfect, but it taught us to be different. Mm. All our days were different days. Everyone was in church on Sundays and we were on Shabbat. Mm-hmm. Everyone was running up after a Christmas tree and we were building a sukkah. Mm-hmm. And the Torah is always saying, be set apart, be set apart, be different, be different. Don't mix, don't mix, don't mix with the nations. It is a, it is a, a rule book for being weird and, and being comfortable being the outsiders. And this is what we need. No matter where you are right now, we have to be comfortable being the outsiders where we are the ones who say, I don't care. CDC, WHO. QPRD, LBGQ. I am not going with the alphabets. No. I'm going to think for myself. That's right. I refuse to be taken, have my children and my authority and my mind and my health controlled 
by media, politicians, yep. technocrats. I refuse. I won't watch your movies. I won't do this. And do you know how few Christians have the guts and the, te and the tenacity who have never learned to swim upstream? Come on. We can barely do it as Come a faith on. statement. Come on. Well, yes, Jesus is my savior. <laughs> but I watch all the same movies. Yeah. I do all the same holidays. Yeah. I, I, we have the same divorce rate, the same this, the same that. We send our kids to the same schools. We never question. We go along and we wake up and we have no authority and we're terrified to be different. That's you so know good. what? This is, and I started and I went, one of the guys that really helped me this again was Curry Blake. Mm -hmm. I started listening to his teachings and all of a sudden I was thinking, I don't care where the virus hits, it's not hitting here. That's right. It's not coming here. That's I refuse right. to allow it. That's and right. I refuse to, to be concerned that I'm going to get anybody sick. I heal the sick. I cleanse the lepers. I raise right. the dead. That's right. And so you can all wear your masks all you want, but That's I won't. Right. I learned how to be different. Yep. I learned it. It's a life skill. Learning to swim upstream is in, it has to be trained into you. And to the degree that we have given authority, to structures, even pastors. Yep. Come on. And we've been robbed of our own authority. Then when those authority figures decide that we should all conform, we are screwed. Yeah. And that's exactly where we are. what has happened. Yep. That's where we are. 100%. And so now, unfortunately, most of the nation will not stop being afraid until Trump gets back in office and he leverages a lot of these jerks yep. and they come into line and these authorities begin telling people they're okay Yep. because they believe they'll believe it. If it comes from so-and-so commentator, Yep. even though their own intuition, their own knowledge of their body, their awareness, their ability to read and research that should be alive and aware. Most of the world will wait for an authority to tell them they don't have to be afraid of this darn virus. Even though more voices are coming out, they can't handle it. Like one last thing. And if you want to take us in another direction, feel free. <laughs> it's all related to fear. It's learning no, it to be is. different. Oh yeah. You have to learn it. You have to learn to swim upstream. You have yeah. to learn to be different. The thing is, is that, is that, um, uh, you know, now we've got somebody posted this on cloud hub. That in the 1960s, the KGB learned if you flood a population with fear-filled messages for two months, you can control a whole population in two months by flooding them with fear. We're six, seven months, and people are now, they're putting the screws on in the damn masks. I'm sorry. Oh, Damnable. No. No. They're, now they're doing it. Now yeah. they're adding it. Why? Yeah. We're months and months and months and months out of this yeah. thing. There's no second wave. It's 99.9%. But it's the authority. And fear yeah. will always take the place of authority. Yep. And you'll be thinking, when my fear leaves, I know, I'll know when I'm okay, when I don't feel afraid anymore. It doesn't work that way. Nope. You have to get your authority back before you feel better. That's right. I have spoken. That's my rant. No, and it's a beautiful rant be, because there's so much truth in it. Um, one of the things that, you know, having children in school and and having to deal with 
the school system, as you said, I didn't feel qualified to be a homeschool mom. I mean, to be, yeah, the homeschool mom, but I was very active in the school. So I felt like I, I had my, my hands in it, but I, I figured let the teachers teach. But what, what I, I started to, when I started to hear from the Lord and he started to talk to me about no child left behind. And he started to show me that it, it actually was a program, not so that somebody's left behind, but that they could pinpoint people who were leaders, who were bucking the system, who were coming outside of what everybody else, they, they were not sheep, is basically. And so these, these children, these individuals who were being forced to, con to, to just be conformist, and they weren't because they were leaders, that they would rise up, they weren't able to listen, they didn't like the way that it was structured, that those were the kids who were saying, oh, no, they need to go on medicine so that yeah. we can control them. And I was like, then he started to talk to me about the television shows. And he showed me the shows that my, and I, now the, my kids were older when he showed me this, but he said that the shows that your children grew up with, the, the parents were idiots. The, the teachers were idiots. The, the police officers were idiots. The authority figures that a child should be mm -hmm. able to look up to have respect for were mm -hmm. considered idiots. And that was done purposely. Yeah. So it was. We didn't yeah. realize it. No, we, didn't we didn't realize it because, and, and in some ways I think there's grace for, for that yeah. because we didn't realize that we were in the middle of a mind control takeover. We didn't realize no. that the CIA had infiltrated all of our news organizations in the 1950s. Yeah. We didn't realize that. We didn't no. realize they, they actually control the movies. Yep. That yep. the intelligence agents, we didn't realize nope. that the bankers made sure that there was lots of war. We just thought, hey, you know, left, right, up, yep. down, grandpa, you know, whatever. And so we just lived in a world where that couldn't possibly be true. That's right. Until it is, until it's obvious. And you wake up and you go, why does everybody want to be a communist? Mm. And then you, you go, back, oh, my gosh, mm -hmm. PSYOP, PSYOP. Mm -hmm. And fear is a PSYOP. Absolutely. That's for us personally, and we're part of a national and international PSYOP. Somebody said this today, Mary Grace on her show. Mm -hmm. She said that the media is guilty of crimes against humanity. Now Absolutely. 100%. Because this is a global yes, terror. Yes, it a is. A global coordinated yep. message yep. through the technocrats and the yep. government yep. and through the media. Yep. And because of it, and not because of the virus, Millions of people are, are impoverished and more yep. people are dying now because of, of all of the issues with uh, lack of health care, mental health, right. all these things, their businesses. That's right. That's right. And people the only reason the WHO finally admitted that lockdowns don't work is because the central bankers mm -hmm. are freaked out right now. Yep. And they need to pull back from the edge because they're little tricks. Are. But what I'm saying to you is this. When you're dealing personally with fear, or we're dealing corporately with fear, it's all about authority. That's right. And who That's has authority over your thoughts, mm -hmm. authority over your home, authority over your children, authority over your body. And the Lord told us to take that and to That's use right. it. And then the idea of coming under authority, I think makes sense when you already have it. <laughs> when you're using it, when you're stewarding your life, then you can recognize healthy structures. 
mm-hmm. when it's all about passive, oh, we'll just let this person do it and that person do it and the teachers yeah. and, and the and the guys on the television screen and you know. And it's hard. It's hard to take back your authority when you've given it away. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's like I just say this. Look, I didn't get here overnight, mm-hmm. but I don't have anything better to do than just get real super healthy and free. That's right. You That's know. So right. what am I going to do for the rest of my life? Whine about what? How I wasted believing all the the propaganda mm-hmm. that the enemy told me personally about my life, and and now we're seeing, you know, in our culture and our nation. No. I, I, it's not, it ain't over now. I got, I got, I got time. What do you, what are you guys doing for the next two or three three decades? You do anything better than getting well, getting healthy, taking it all back. I mean, what else are you going to do? And it's so funny that you say that because, um, I think it was last year. Um, I was in my bedroom. I was listening to some worship music. I was reading a book. My television was there, turned off, turned off, didn't put it on. Now, I, I grew up with TV. I was a big TV person. And the Lord spoke to me that morning, that night. And he said to me, he goes, Lisa, he goes, do you notice that you don't watch TV anymore? And I was like, yeah. Like, I had no desire for it. He said, I did that. Wow, yeah, that's not easy. Television is a huge addiction. Yeah, he said, I did that. And I said, you did? He says, yeah, you don't need to watch TV anymore. I said, okay, and that was it. Like, because he'll pull us if we allow him to. Mm-hmm. He'll pull us from the distraction. He'll pull us from the things that are getting our attention. If Because we can hear slowly in the back of our heads, you know, come spend time with me. You know, come come and spend some time with me. Come and pray with me. Come and spend some time with me. Where we really can be fed and be filled mm-hmm. into overflowing. Or we can sit there and we can just like veg, as a lot of people said, in, in front of that, that mind box. And the Lord really start is starting. And I believe that that's what's happening. I think that's what's happening right now, that there mm-hmm. are people who are being pulled from different places, that they're being pulled into the word of God, that they're being pulled into some prayer time because mm-hmm. God's like pulling them. He's like, come on, come this way, mm-hmm. come this way so that I can strengthen you. I can change your mind. I can change your thinking. We can go into those places. That's been one of the, my, um, one of my heart cries for people is that they go and they spend time with Jesus. Go, go into the garden with him. Mm. Let him see your, your, your mess because he looks at your mess and it goes, it's beautiful because I can turn into a message. So I'll take this mess that you have, but if you let me, I'm going to turn it into something that other people will really enjoy seeing. So you won't have the shame. You won't have the guilt. You won't have the condemnation, but you're going to have a story and a testimony of how I can turn everything beautiful. Yeah. And, and so we're, we're living in this, this place where people like yourselves and other others in, in media are, are saying, listen, it, it's time for us to become fearless. That's one of the things that that I've been really feel, feeling. You know, we can look at that word and say, "Yes, I'm fearless." No, we're going to fear less. That's it. Mm-hmm. We're just going to fear less. So, mm-hmm. at, when the fear starts to rise, we can start using the scriptures to start pulling it down. We can start going into those places with God and saying, "Okay, Lord, where where do we have a a uh, where is there a common thread?" that this is starting to get me a little crazy right. because when the, when it first came out there, there was that fear, but before it came out, you know, the Lord was already talking to people and telling people, look, 
this is that we're going into war that we we think mm -hmm. this is about a pandemic or a pandemic but this is really about a war mm -hmm. we are in the middle of a war and a lot of people don't see that some do but some don't and when we just like the patriots um where they were fighting to get their freedom i believe that's what we're fighting for i think we're we're fighting for freedom and we're fighting to be free free from the fear free from the propaganda free from the noise and free from control yeah and again this is learned and one of the most amazing things though is when you take something back that has been, that be, that belongs to you that god has given to you or told you to have influence over there's really nothing quite as good i mean it just feels good you know there's mm -hmm. just there's stuff that is a thrill or you know maybe the sugar or the alcohol or the this or the whatever we do that we kind of we kind of dig but the good i mean the really things that are just like just so whole <laughs> and wholesome are the things when we assert the authority God has given us to take something back, to learn, to understand what's, what have I given myself to? Why did that happen? How did it affect my brain? What do I need to do? What are the practical? What are the logical, logistical? What, what, how do I use the scriptures instead of just slapping it over an anxious state and hoping to feel better? And what do you do when you're making declarations and you have a deep reaction of, of triggering? Because what you're declaring is fighting against a trauma. What do you do with that? You know, and how, how do you get healing? And, and I mean, it's just, it's the hope message too. It's like, he's not finished with us. It ain't over till the Messiah sings, man. We're, you know, we're not, we're, we have a chance. We still have time. Yes. And uh, we still, we're in a turnaround and, and it's ugly because it's ugly. Yeah. And we're seeing what we have to see. But it's like that, it's that breaking through denial where you go, wow, it's really cost me a lot to mm -hmm. avoid dealing with my fear. Mm -hmm. And when I woke up one day and realized I couldn't even play for one other person in a room, how humiliating, how embarrassing, how depressing, how, I mean, how totally sad. And then... It would, I, would have been easy for me just to go, well, I, what I used to do, because I like things really neat and clean, was I would get really psycho about organizing, really neurotic, you know, organize the canned goods and get everything just right and clean it all and get it just so, because I was externalizing all that energy and, and I would try to bring myself into a state of peace in one arena because it's completely avoiding dealing with the real issue, the real fear. And this is what we do. When we get that, oh my gosh, it's really, there's really, it's really going on with me. We can choose to go, wow, this has cost me a lot. I can't afford to avoid my fear, dealing with my fears anymore. I can't afford it, it's too costly. Or we can step into denial, we kind of go more into those obsessive compulsive behaviors. And, um, but there's nothing like, there really is nothing like uh, that um, progress you see in an area where you have felt like such a total failure. And we have to learn, the enemy is incremental. Leftists are incremental. 
they'll wait. You know, people from the Middle East can wait hundreds and thousands of years to get their revenge. They just plan it into the history. Well, we'll outlive them. We'll take it back, you know, and we, <laughs> we need to have that same kind of, you know what, today I'm, I'm taking it back. And if, if this today, you know, if this is an incremental thing, it's good. I'm going to do it. I'm going to make my bed. Gosh, darn it. You know, well, I'm going to eat my vegetables. I'm going to do my thing. And it changes the brain. And it, and, and we despise those things sometimes, but they're powerful. I agree. I'm, I, when you started to say we're going to take it back, one of the things I also wanted to talk to you is about how you are taking worship music and using different types of music to worship, that it doesn't have to be that same old, same old, but you're actually taking back music and, and you're bringing it back to the Lord. You're bringing back jazz to the Lord and using that to worship. You're, you're doing, you know, singer songwriter songs that are, that are going to sing and praise Praise the Lord. I love that you're using all these different diversity, um, th these different types of music, and you're diversifying it. So it's not like that same, you know, I, I hate to say bubblegum because I don't mean to be disrespectful, but it's that same old, same old. Mm -hmm. And it's so refreshing to be able to worship. I remember there was one of your... Um, one of your periscopes that I, I got to see where you were singing these beautiful, and they were in, uh, I believe it was in Hebrew. I think you were speaking. Um, and it was just beautiful where you were singing, I think some of the names of God, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but uh, it was, there was something because it was different. It was a different sound. Mm -hmm. And so I, I love it. So where, where is that kind of coming from? Because I feel like there's a shifting that you're kind of taking your music into. Well, I mean, as I told you, I have, since I was really little, I really was given the ability to write things nobody else writes. And then because my mother was a classical musician, I was mm -hmm. experienced a lot of cl classical music. And then I got interested in classical guitar, which brings in the Spanish repertoire mm -hmm. and, and then brings you into jazz was also during the 1970s when Return to Forever and uh, and Paco de Lucia and um, and the and the the guys you know Lyle Mays and uh, um, Pat Metheny and in the 70s and 80s there was a big fusion of of serious rock music with jazz yeah and I had a friend who was really into it and he started playing this music for me and I had a music minister. Uh, I mean, a, a youth minister who was a phenomenal musician. And he taught all the kids in the youth group how to play very complicated chords and uh, chord substitutions and hard things. And so my ears from very little were, were big. Then Joni Mitchell was writing. Do you remember mm -hmm. oh, the yeah. sound of yeah. that whole thing? And, yeah. uh, uh, you know, the guys, um, Seals and Croft. Mm-hmm. There was a lot, a lot happening in the 70s, a lot of fusion music. And so that opened up my ears. And then when I went off to study classical guitar, I learned it's it's an idiomatic instrument. I mean, meaning, you know, the, the, the open strings and the keys and the retuning. It just, the possibilities, if you know how to play beyond just three or four chords, which is mm -hmm. what most people are playing. Most music songs are in G, mm -hmm. C, or D. And they're playing D, G, A, C, F, G, 
over and over and over. And, and, and then when you go to pray, they tell the musicians, don't stop playing. Like that's the anointing. I have to tell you that just drives me absolutely nuts. Like your like your prayer meeting or your ministry time yeah. is going to be more anointed if that poor keyboard player has to play those three chords for right. thirty five more minutes. Right, right. It's not right. This is what Curry Blake says, by the way. Curry Blake refuses to allow any music to be played ah. during any of his healing ministries. Okay, because when when people start talking about oh there was an atmosphere of healing, he goes no there wasn't. It was authority. It oh, was come faith. on. Come on. No, we don't need a special music. We don't need an atmosphere. Mm -hmm. Jesus just gave us authority, told us not to pray for the sick to get them healed. That's not to right. just pretend the de hope the demons will leave to cast them out. He said, either you believe you can do it or you don't. Yeah. You don't get to play, you know. Yep. And I thought, oh my gosh, he's so right. We're waiting for an atmosphere. And so now I can tell you within the black community, because I work with black musicians, they have black gospel yeah. sounds and they're very, very phenomenal musicians. They have yeah. a quality, their ability with harmony is far beyond Bethel music. Sorry. I'm just oh, saying. no, I agree with that 100%. They, they, but with, if, you, if you are in black gospel churches, you will hear the same sounds over and over and over and over mm -hmm. and over again until you're mm -hmm. bored out of your mind, mm -hmm. even though it's, way more complicated and interesting music than most of us have in our churches. Right. If you're in the word of faith thing, sort of from the South in Texas, there's a whole realm of music that kind of is coming out of that. And if you stay there, it'll all sound the same. Mm -hmm. And then there's the rock music, skinny jeans guy who, who kind of wails when he sings. Yeah. And the one, the girl who kind of wails, yeah. there's a whaley thing going on. Yeah. And they play, they're very, uh, very high on the production values. Yeah. There's a lot of production, but the songs are um, the same chords and the same sounds over yep. and over and over. At one point, they might have been refreshing. I'm just telling you, it hurts my body now. Wow. I can't do it. I, yeah. I, think I can't do what, it. I'm just telling you. I think that's you. what you said. I think you said that. You said, I, I can't do this anymore. And I'm just saying, so what I, I don't have all the answers, but I've written a lot of music. Mm -hmm. And I'm working on bringing it with jazz musicians mm -hmm. in into settings where people can sing. So there's a mixture of like, you know, in liturgy, there are mm -hmm. things that only the cantor sings. And then yeah. there are things everyone sings. Right. Why can't that be the case? You see, one of the things I, the Lord was showing me again is that worship comes out of story. Mm, so good. You have to tell a story. Yep. And hymns told stories. Yes. Hymns would have three, four, five verses. Yep. With very thick language and and comp and complicated ideas. Mm -hmm. And you'd have to think, what does that word mean? Wow, that's very poetic. I wonder, I wonder what that is. And then you get to the chorus. Then sings my soul, my savior, God to me, how great thou art. But those those stories were beefy in the, in yes. the verses. Beefy, yeah. beefy, beefy. Liturgy tells a story. I grew up in a Baptist church and we had beautiful liturgy. There was a call to worship. There was a prelude. There was responsive reading. We did the Lord's prayer. There was, you know, the special music and there was this and that. So by the time you were singing the hymns, you got woke up. You mm -hmm. got, you got, you got brought into the community. 
you, you, you move from one state to another. This is why liturgy is powerful. This is why the Catholic liturgy and the Jewish liturgy work. In the Jewish liturgy, they take you through a process until they open the ark and you see the Torah mm. scroll and you're supposed to imagine you're standing in the Holy of Holies right there. Mm -hmm. But you go through a process. In the, in the Catholic church, you go through a process until the, they, they give you the, the, the body and blood. Right. Pinnacle. Yeah. Make, dare I say the word climax as even yeah. in a sexual sense? My son said something to me. He said, Mom, I feel like modern worship music wants to say, man, swam, bam, thank you, ma'am. Haul me off to the climax with no story and mm -hmm. no, um, mm -hmm. no uh, wooing mm -hmm. and no transition, mm -hmm. no story. I say story and conversation. Absolutely. That has to change. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to be doing more of that in my own vein. But even what I do, if you listen to it enough and you don't have contrast and other things, you could get bored with what I do. It's part of the human nature. The problem, I think, is that we need to start, we need to submit it. Mm. Because nobody wants to be the one in the room going, if you play your same stupid chords again for the next 45 minutes and make try to drag me into some orgasm with God that I am not ready for, I'm sorry, I can't go with you. And I'm just being, that's, I you might have to, love you. you might no, have to. I you. love you. I love you. I love what you just said. I, lo I love it. it sorry, because, you might have to edit that out. No, no, no. No, no. but it's true. Yeah. It, it's true. It's and true. and also in in liturgy, people are brought into community. Mm -hmm. And here's how liturgical worship works: it's like being in a choir. Mm -hmm. And in a choir, if somebody's holding a note mm -hmm. and somebody has to take a breath, mm -hmm. we don't notice it because somebody then they else. take their breath and they come back in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In communal worship, where there's the responsive readings and memorized prayers. Your mind might water and you might think about the laundry or what you have to do, but the person next to you is staying, is in it, and you bring each other into the presence of God yep. as a community. Yep. We're all in this individual thing. But salvation is a communal thing. You know Absolutely. that. Salvation is about a nation, about a people group. Yep. And so part of our worship needs to bring us into communal experience. Well, that's kingdom. And not just, I feel so excited yeah. that I'm going to sing this one song over and over and over yeah. about my personal feelings about how much God loves me. Yeah. And that it's an aspect, right? So I have more questions than answers. And I'm looking for musicians to work with. And I know a ton of jazz musicians. I'm looking for the right hearted people. And I'm going to be doing live streams. We're going to be doing this thing. But um, uh, that's just. So if you listen to the music that I do, it's jazz, it's classical, mm -hmm. it's and even the the singer songwriter stuff I do. Oh, I love that. I yeah. don't feel like I'm gonna I'm gonna do Jesusy songs. No, it's like how many more times can we see a painting of a lion? Yes. But, okay. But let, or an let, angel. It's let, great, but can we paint something else? Okay, let's can, just talk about that that song that I started the show with. Yeah. Okay, because as soon as I heard it. I immediately got the visual. I immediately yeah. painted the picture. And it was a different picture than I've ever seen before. But it was a picture that that spoke to me. Song for the of, sower, yeah. Yeah, because, it, because of my experience. But that's where I'm, and I, I actually said to you, 
I think I could live in this song for a yeah. bit. Because I think that as we we start to experience worship, worship is not something that's just like your your son said, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. It's not about that, but it's really about just encountering. Because when you encounter the love of your life, it, each time is different. It's not just, when it becomes the same then you lose the freshness, you you lose the spark. So mm -hmm. I believe that worship, you know, there are times that I go through different people and I'm going to, I'm going to sit with this one for a little bit and I'm going to sit with that one mm -hmm. because this pulls out something in me and this pulls out something in me. Mm -hmm. But I, I think the, to have that flow, like you're saying that community flow where everybody gets to, we're supposed to enter in together because mm -hmm. even if you look at the scripture, it says where two or more are gathered and present. So it's like he's present in it. So why are we singing that it's just about me? It's about we. Well, I'm also really looking forward to hosting in my home believers meetings where one has a psalm, one has a mm -hmm. hymn, a spiritual song. Like I, mm -hmm. I, I'm tired of the band mm -hmm. being in front and mm -hmm. running the show. Mm -hmm. You're a worship leader. What do you have to say? Just, just talk to him and tell him how awesome he is. And right. you, you want to just sing a psalm? I know your, I know your voice sucks, but I just kind of just want. You know, I just kind of want to feel like like something organic is happening and we're not being browbeaten yeah. into a, a, a sonic blast of something that's supposed to make us feel great. And I hate to say it, sometimes I go in and when it's all over, they go, oh, I was in heaven and it was this, and it was that. I just, wow. And I go, gosh. I just say, Holy Spirit, I'm so sorry. I hope I haven't offended you, but that was not my experience at all. Mm. I don't know what to do with that. I don't know what to do with that, that struggle, except for I think that sometimes that dissatisfaction makes it like right now when I open a hymnal and I just read the hymns mm -hmm. lyrics, I feel more the presence of the Lord than I have in modern worship in a very long time. Well, I think we also go through, you know, like when we first started out, you know, um, well, you you grew up in this, but like for myself, you know, there were certain people who I listened to, to be fed, mm -hmm. but then there comes a point where you don't want to eat that food anymore. So it's not mm -hmm. that the food is bad. It's just that your palate has changed. And so mm -hmm. now you want to think that's probably true. Something else. Mm -hmm. Because yeah, in the end, I don't have all the answers. I'm not mm -hmm. the cure for cancer. I'm just a hungry person. Right. And I'm just being honest that there's more and I have gifts and talents I can bring and see what God might do. But it's really humbling because I'll tell you what, I, I would <laughs> super humbling. I was in that tent America thing mm -hmm. and I got to bring my guitar and I started to play some of my music and it sucked so bad. And I was like, I was like, Lord, you know, I. I got nothing. You know what I mean? I, mm -hmm. There's times when it might sound really great, but it was just a good example of, I think it's okay to have more questions than answers. Mm -hmm. I think it's okay to have hunger and thirst for something more and something different and something new, mm -hmm. or maybe something old that he's bringing. And I think that gives us lots of room for humility in well, the I process. I think humility is a very overlooked gift from God. I think that um, if because if if we can constantly rely on him and we can say, OK, that that might not have been my best or maybe there was all like, you know, for instance, like we had complications with the show. 
that wasn't what I intended. That wasn't my best, mm -hmm. but I still have to trust that in the process that, that there, that God is going to do what he needs to do because mm -hmm. we're, we're always submitting to him, everything mm -hmm. that we're doing. I mean, even as you're going to open up your home to musicians, as you're going to open up your home to different people who, mm -hmm. who may or may not have a, a worshiping anointing, but they're, they're going to come and bring the gift. They're going to mm -hmm. come in. They're going to partake. I think that, that there's a beautiful humility in that saying that mm -hmm. everybody gets to play in the sandbox. I think that's one of the, the things that we don't always try to control things. And we just let the Holy Spirit do, you know, bring and, and do what needs to be done. I think that. But don't be surprised if the Holy Spirit doesn't like liturgy. <laughs> don't be surprised if structure uh -huh. yep. doesn't become important to us again. Yep. Well, don't be, you know, yep. it's because it's a theatric, there's theatrics yep. in liturgical worship. Yep. And it's literally like putting on a play mm -hmm. for God and you have all these pieces. So, and, and uh, someone pointed this out to me when you see in, in revelation, when it says, holy, holy, holy is mm -hmm. the, you know, and the elders are casting their crown. Yeah. It's very liturgical, mm -hmm. very liturgical worship going on in heaven. I'm not saying, you know, there's also. But the thing of it is, I don't think we have to pick or choose. Like, I think, you know, there's little John Jr. under JFK's desk, mm. playing under the desk. Mm -hmm. Oh, there's my daddy. Yeah. And then there's times when he saluted his father, like, yeah. the, like the leader of the free world. Right. And we get to have both of those experiences with God. Yes. I love that. Because we can go sit on his lap, and then sometimes we, could lay, we can put our faces on the, on the floor. Yeah, the majesty, the protocols mm. of heaven, the mm -hmm. whole, you know. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I don't know, Lisa, I'm in a, I guess I got nothing better to do than learn how to be healthy and whole and humble. <laughs> well, no, you, For the also, next few years you, you also, you also have some books. So we're just, this is your newest book that's coming out. Mm -hmm. um, so Constance and the Battle for Wonder. So, but your first book that you wrote, which was Mrs. Amazing and the Seed. So these are these fictional stories for, for young adults. But I also think it's, it's also um, a great way for uh, parents to spend some time fantasizing because there's so many, there's so many books that have been out there that families have read together um, I'll just say like the Harry Potter books, but this is, this is taking that, that godly kind of fiction, because I think in everything that you do, Julie, even if you're not trying to, I think that God just shows up <laughs> in everything that you do because you are his daughter. And so as his daughter, just everything has, has that, that taste and that frequency of heaven. I hope so. I mean, there's certainly times when I know, it's it's been a, a frequency of me, <laughs> which isn't that great. But you know, I think uh, one of the things I love about the Lord is He's willing to slug it out with us. Mm -hmm. You know, He's will, He was willing to enflesh Himself. You know, mm -hmm. and all that humanity was sweat and stuff and body stuff and, and and be among us, and that's pretty amazing. And and um, it's so mysterious. And it, and it gives me a lot of hope that he hasn't given up on us, you know? Nope. But um, yes, I, 
I wrote Mrs. Amazing in the Seed, and that was um, um, very supernatural how that came about. And um, uh, this woman waltzed into my head. I didn't know why she was amazing. I didn't know why she had a seed, and I didn't know why any, anyone would, would care. <laughs> but um, she, uh, this is about a family that risks everything to keep their kids out of the grown-up factory, which you see up there on the hill. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and the forces that want their family to conform and uh and the the cost that they pay to stay to try to stay intact and not to conform to the prescribed order and um, they get tossed into this realm called wonder and um and their children are literally taken from them because they believe in it hmm. and 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 the book allows that family to go through that and to and to have to deal with the aftermath of that kind of, of experience, and then to see how wonder, uh, how they bring wonder back into that, and uh, but they the book ends with their oldest daughter not so sure she believes what her parents believe anymore, which wow. is it opens the door for a older older series. That book was originally for like ten to fourteen. I'll probably do a whole YA spinoff of that, but my current. Um, marketer publisher asked me to take the same characters and make them younger and start a whole prequel series about this family um, when the kids are younger. So that's what this book is. It's coming out soon. Constance and the Battle for Wonder. And um, so hopefully I'll get five books in of this younger aged group of kids that will then sort of send us into the story of the of Mrs. Amazing and the Seed, which I'll, I will flesh out in in other in other ways because it deals with some pretty serious stuff well i was gonna say it kind of sounds a lot like what we're going through now it kind of sounds like our last 10 years because it is it's very much children. that way yeah you have our children who don't necessarily agree with what we agree with or don't believe in what we believe in yeah and, and that's and the high stakes the we're in right mm -hmm. now yeah. and uh, i didn't i didn't offer everybody easy answers. Mm -hmm. But, um, but I did give them uh, the reality of the power of the seeds planted in their kids. And yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm learning. I'm learning. I got to work with a professional editor for the first time on this last book, and she really whipped me into shape. And so I'm hoping to have that same experience with an with an editor in the second I'm finishing up another book right now that would be with this younger age. That's called uh, Constance and Chance and the Big Bang Backlash. <laughs> okay. So these kids are, are pitted against the system. Mm -hmm. And their experience and the, these two worlds and uh, what they carry inside them versus what everyone around them is carrying. And whether they actually, what's in them actually can compete with what's outside them. And wow. uh, so, yeah. I love we'll it. We'll see. <laughs> I love it. But you know we'll what see. I love? I, I truly love that because you are a storyteller, that everything that you do tells a story, whether it's your books, whether it's your music, whether mm -hmm. it's your videos. There's always a story. It's not just a teaching, but it's just like the way that Jesus taught. He used the parables. 
he did, he built up an entire thing because people remember stories. God really spoke to me about being a storyteller. And I come from storytelling. My brother's a storyteller, my mother, my father. We were all story, we would sit around our table for hours just telling stories. That's what we did. I grew up doing it. So telling stories is something that I'm that that is very uh, natural for me. Some people don't have that ability, but some people have incredible ability and you have incredible ability. You are so, I love the way that you, you bring people from a place, from a, from a start, bring them through and then bring them to the finish. Especially when you were, you were doing a, a, a picture and it was a beautiful picture. You had the ugly, ugly monkey baby for a little while, but, <laughs> right? We had to have the ugly monkey baby for a little while, you know? That's right. That's totally true. And, and I loved, I love that you called it the ugly monkey baby because it shows, it shows that there's such a, a willingness to, to laugh at, at, at the things that you don't feel are, are perfect. I still thought it was a, a, a really good picture. And I was like, I was that painting. <laughs> I was like, man, I would really make it an ugly monkey baby. I'm just saying. So I, I thought, goodness gracious, when we can laugh at ourselves, when we can we can laugh at the things that we we get, you know, we do well. well this we can, is a part of yeah. the healing is where yeah. you can when it comes to social anxiety and fear, it's the mm -hmm. can I just simply honestly just be where I am today with all my issues and all of my Christ in me, hope of glory, reality, mm -hmm. and just show up and go, yeah, this is just the truth. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his mm -hmm. grace to me is not without effect. Can that just be enough? Can I, can I, can I, do I qualify to be seen and known? in right where this is, even though I know I'm a hot mess or I'm far from this lofty destiny thing they keep telling me about. And this is why, I, why it's so beautiful to deal with your fears because it's in the showing up right where we are and going, I don't know how to write a book. I just wrote a book and well, you know, I mean, and I don't know how to do Periscope or I don't know how to do this. Or I don't know. Right. I don't know how to paint this. And and be and it being okay, and being actually right and good to be known and seen and experienced right where you are. That's essential because you don't go any farther. And this is the root of social anxiety. This is the root of perfectionism. This is the root of avoidance. This is a root of procrastination and depression, suicide. You know. It's all right there. If, if people really see and who I am and know who I really am without my makeup on, without the special lighting, without the, you know, me doing things for them the way they want, can, can I be loved and okay right now? Mm. And the answer is yes. The answer is yes. Not out of some touchy-feely humanistic thing, but it's out of the grace of God that mm. welcomes you to, to show up right with where it is and go, oh yeah, that's me with the toilet paper on my on my, my shoe from <laughs> coming out of the bathroom. Oh yeah, uh -huh. my zipper was unzipped. Or uh -huh. oh yeah, my had a you know I slept you know you don't when you forget to comb yep. the back of your hair and you're yep. sitting in church and it's like all flat or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yep. Your eyelash, your one eyelash is like all like this or whatever it is, or you put your foot in your mouth or yes, yes, yes. It has to be that. Mm. It, we have to do that. And the mm. beautiful thing is 
most people who are being authentic at all or wanting to be will be so relieved. So relieved. But we go, I can't believe she just said that. I can't believe she just, wow. Not that you want to be outrageous for outrageous sake and not that you want to, you try to put your foot in your mouth or be offensive. But there's this sense in which you're just, aren't you just so relieved? I think this is the thing about new media. I didn't like it at first. I mean, I'm, I like the lighting here and always is kind of feeling pretty good. But so much of Periscope and so much of this stuff is, it's all out there. Yeah. You're not, you're not airbrushed. You don't have the teleprompter. You don't. And yep. I so wanted that world. Like, well, if I'm ever going to, you know, do a show, then I want. And I'm realizing that the thing that's breaking through the brain, the mind control and breaking through all that propaganda is the authenticity. Mm. And the, sorry, guys, we couldn't get our show together for 30 minutes because the tech was so bad, yeah. you know? Yep. Yep. Because we had problems. You know, Houston, we had a problem. But but it's still good. Yeah. But it's still good because I came to a point um, at one point that I just, I don't get upset. I just kind of laugh because I know that if if there's if there's a problem, it's because it's, it's an, um, there's something trying to come against me from doing something. Mm -hmm. And if it's, if there's something coming against me, that means that it needs to come out. And so it, it brings me yeah. that, that, you know, resolve, I'm going to get it done. I'm going yeah, to get And it the done. enemy has a way of also working with where we are in the process as does the Lord. Yes. So I can only know what I know. Mm -hmm. I can only have the experience and the maturity that I have. Right. But I show up with it. Will the enemy make hay sometimes? Yeah. Is God bigger than that? Yes. Yep. So we're in this, you know, my one of my dear friends said to me, you know, Julie, life is sloppy. And I was like, what do you mean? I have my can goods all organized and I'm a complete and total neurotic about everything. in You know, because I'm like, so that was such an OCD type of person. Mm -hmm. And she goes, no, Julie, life is sloppy. Learning is sloppy. Growing up is sloppy. Fear-free living is sloppy. Yeah. You know, you can, it's okay, you know? And you go, ah, wow. <laughs> I'm not sure I feel about that, but I have a feeling like you're probably right. <laughs> I think that's, that's great. So if people want to get in touch with you, Julie, they can actually go to julielavender.com. Mm -hmm. um, and they can get, I'm going to just bring up some of your, your CDs again. This one is amazing. And then I'm going to show that's this one. one. That's my, yeah. That's my third one. Okay. Oh, sorry. Wrong one. Um, then I have this one. Yeah. Now on this album is one of the most famous uh, flautists in the world. Um, oh, really? played in my bathroom, believe it or not. Hubert Laws. <laughs> it's amazing. I've gotten to have some incredible players that, uh, just where I was at in the process, God allowed me to, to do things that were far beyond what I could have imagined. So yeah, this is music. It's all jazz oriented. It's all fresh. You're not going to hear anything really like it. And it all has a spiritual component, but it's not, it's not shoveled into a, mm -hmm. a Christian subculture type sound. Mm -hmm. And then of course there's this one, which is very cool. That's a cantata based on Jewish prayer. Yeah, uh, it tells the whole story, and that's really an art piece. And um, but it was very beautiful, singable worship in it, as well as just telling the whole story. Mm. 
And that's why I wanted to save that one for last, because I think that the artwork is beautiful, but I love the fact that it, it, it's something that you can use. I think you can use all of them for worship, but I know that that one definitely has that, that worship mm -hmm. flows. So does it. this Dador project. Yeah. Very oh much yeah. So. And now that, that's up here. Yep. So those are two, if you'd like to get some new worship music, you can go to Julie Lavender com but julie this has been so awesome thank you for for hanging in we had some technical thank issues you. but thank um you. but this was so fun and i'm i'm and i'm just gonna say that you're going to be joining me in february with andrea joy moody and we are going to be doing a daddy's girl conference in texas which is going to be um information should be coming forth extremely soon oh because a lot of people are starting to to ask really and cool. so it's going to be it's going to be so much fun. I have um a couple places I just need to just finalize which one it's going to be. Um but it's going to be February 5th, 6th and 7th. So, but that should be fun and uh we're going to be we're going to be talking about worship because uh, God's been talking to me about about worship. So Cool. We, oh yeah. yeah. Well, I got to I have so much to learn. Uh, well, I don't know. I gotta I'm, learn a lot. I'm just telling you that you're going to be very surprised when I tell you what I got to tell you. <laughs> awesome. It's all good. So, but thank you so much for, for well, coming on. You. Touch my prayer. Thank and you. And all been... nine of the people who are with us right now. Yes. Yes. We've, 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 dro we've <laughs> dropped some people. Is that just the restream number right there? I think so. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Because there are countless thousands in the universe. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. They are. And we and definitely we're going to tell them to uh, to share. So <laughs> I'm just... Yeah. Yes. So um, let me just, I'm going to just hold tight for me. And I just want to say thank you guys for, for sticking in and for coming back. If you guys are interested, please make sure that you go to julielavender.com. Make sure that you grab a copy of her book. It's great for kids. You can send it. They're going to be great for our um not part mitzvah and great Hanukkah gifts. They'll also be great for the holidays. You can definitely get that. Also pick up some CDs if you're looking for some new worship music. But uh, thank you guys for listening. God bless you guys. Don't remember and just go out and touch someone. Bye-bye.